0: Welcome to Inventing Our Future on ThinkTech Hawaii. I'm your host, Brittany Zimmerman.
1: I'm Richard Ha, your co-host.
0: And today we'll be joined by Dr. Christopher Cogswell. We're going to get introduced to each other and discuss all about our new show. We'll take a deep dive into inventions and how they may or may not affect the future of Hawaii. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome! So excited to have you with us today, Chris. Uh, from uh, New Hampshire, is that right?
2: That is correct. Yeah. Um, wish I could join you in the studio, maybe next time. Uh, but yeah, up here, <laughs> up here in snowy New Hampshire. So it's a uh, a beautiful state. Um, but yeah, quite a bit different than Hawaii.
0: We've got a little bit of snow right now on the top of Mauna Kea. Maybe a little bit more than a little bit. Uh, but it's definitely a treat here. So. <laughs> Good
2: stuff. Good
0: stuff. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we're really excited to have you with us today. Um, this is the premiere of our first, uh, inventing our future show on Think Tech. So we're really excited about it. I know we've gotten some time to discuss, um, both with our Richard Ha and you, Chris. And uh, what we're going to be talking about today is really just the format uh, of what we have going on, uh, how we're going to do some nerdy deep dives into some different inventions and technologies. Uh, we'll bridge that, uh, you know, innovative nerdy side. We'll work on making sure we take that down a few notches and um, then also look at how does that really affect Hawaii, right? How are these applicable here uh, in this really interesting and beautiful niche part of the world. So uh, with that, um, let's take a minute. I wanna take a little bit of time here, Chris, and and get to know uh, you as well. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really excited to learn more. Tell us a little bit about uh, your journey, your history and the things you're working on currently.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, I'm originally from the East Coast of the United States. So I'm originally from the New York City area. And then I went up to New Hampshire for undergraduate, where I did a dual degree in chemical engineering and philosophy, which is a little bit different. My, I'll never forget my advisor, um, when I told him, and my chemical engineering advisor, when I told him I wanted to add a double major, and he thought it must be business or something, I suppose. And I said, no, I want to do philosophy. And the, the only thing he said to me was, why? Um, <laughs> which I thought was quite a fitting question for, for a budding philosopher. Like, <laughs> you know, by... Uh, my interest has always been in not just how technologies work and how science works, but how that interfaces with the public, mm-hmm. you know, so somebody could discover um, the next big cure for a major disease. And if it, it doesn't communicated effectively to the public. And if it isn't really put out there in a way that makes sense to multiple communities, right. The business community, Um, the public community, the government community, um, and other scientists, then that technology, even if it's revolutionary, might not ever make it out of that lab facility. So for me, my interest was always, again, not just kind of the technical side of things, but also that sort of philosophical side of science and technology. And so when um, when I left UNH, the University of New Hampshire, as an undergraduate, I decided to pursue a PhD in chemical engineering. And my research work really focused on the use of nanostructures. So materials that are, you know, smaller than a hundredth the width of a human hair, um, engineering and designing those systems for use and applications in the sustainability space. Mm -hmm. And the one I was the most interested in and the most passionate about was carbon dioxide capture and conversion. If we think about sort of CO2 capture, most people think of it as something obviously we should do, right? I mean, of course, CO2 is leading to climate change. It's a huge issue. We know mm-hmm. it's going to affect societies going forward. So it seems obvious to us that there must be something done on this. But if we look into really sort of the way the technology has moved, um, those advancements, even though they're being done at the lab scale, don't necessarily make their way to um, to the people. And so for me, that was another part of kind of the research that I did that I found uh, very interesting and very compelling. So that's kind of the technical side of things. Um, After graduating with my PhD, I worked as a process safety consultant for a number of years and then now actually work um, sort of in, I like to think of it as in public science communication almost, Um, also work alongside uh, kind of the general public on questions of Um, what I guess we would commonly call conspiracy belief or anti-science belief. So kind of, again, that extension of the philosophy side, right? Why do people believe in certain ideas and don't believe in others? And so that's, that's led me to some really interesting places, but really at the core of it has always been um, how can we understand how the public, how the economy, how governments, and how science interacts with, the scientific world and technological advancement, um, and how can we use that to apply? Um, how can we use that to apply our lessons from that to getting good technologies out there for the people who need them? And so, I've been super fortunate uh, now that I get to work with FMA on doing this exact thing, right? So, looking at this from a broader approach, a really pure sustainability approach, to say um, these are these communities that are affected; these are the communities that have issues that need to be solved. We have the technology. What are the roadblocks to that technology getting out there? And then solving each of those roadblocks to get to get good stuff for our communities.
0: Awesome, Chris. So uh in hearing that, I think of you maybe as the um mythbusters of of scientific philosophies is that an okay way to put it. <laughs>
2: You flatter me too much. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, you know, that's the part I hope that is how, uh, I hope that's the kind of work that I can help perform. You know, besides just understanding again, the technological side, really getting to the bottom of if the people don't trust the scientific idea, it doesn't it matters, of course, if the scientific idea is is correct, but if the yeah. people don't trust it, or if um there's an economic roadblock or a political roadblock or something like that it doesn't it doesn't actually get to do any good and that's Mm -hmm. that's a shame so um yeah yeah that's the idea
0: wonderful thank you so much Chris and um we also have with us our our co-host Richard Ha um hello Richard I know it's our first uh, show together, so I definitely want to uh, give you the spotlight here for a little bit also uh, and share some of uh, your background, some of your journey, and some of the things that you're currently working on, Richard.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I was 10 years old when I became the person I am today. And I had no idea. But back then, my pop used to sit at the dinner table and on the table, it's in, not no can, can. Everything was positive. Find two answers for every problem and one more just in case. You know, that that kind of stuff. It was all, all the time, all the time, all the time. So uh, it, I was just, uh, uh, it just became ingrained in me. Okay, so I went to school and we were really poor, except we didn't know we were poor. You know, it's one of those kind of things. My pop went to the fifth grade. My mom went to the ninth grade. And uh, and we were just going through, then I went to uh, Church College of Hawaii for, you know, af- after high school, which was kind of like, "Oh, you know, you should go to college." So I, I went, and then I transferred there to University of Hawaii. And immediately, I flunked out of school, too many people to see, too many beers to drink. And, <laughs> and back then, as you get drafted, you go to Vietnam. And being the optimist that I was, you know, so I volunteered, you know, and I answered all the questions you know in a way that I could become an officer. I had that in my mind, okay, mm-hmm. Is this situation I'll become an officer. And what Clinch did for me was they they gave us a tour of the officers' club, and so mm-hmm. we went over there, and I was like, "Holy smokes, they got rolled toilet paper, and we got squares. I gotta be <laughs> an officer, <laughs> so anyway, I became an officer. <laughs> <laughs> and then I came back, you know, uh, and then I had to fit in and, and uh, but, you know, when you're young, you're smarter than your parents. And, and then little by little, you start to realize, holy smokes, they weren't that, you know, they were kind of smart. And then at my age now, I'm 78, I turned into my parents. So <laughs> that, that's my journey. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. And what kind of things are you working on now, Richard?
1: Well, you know, um, just just some background. I I formed the Native Hawaiian uh, Chamber of Commerce. I was the founding president. So Native Hawaiian Chamber of Commerce. I founded the yeah. uh, uh, Sustainable Energy Hawaii. I was the founding president as well. Then I founded this this group, which is called the Rubber Slipper Group. The Rubber mm-hmm. Slipper Group, me, meaning, you know, just local style for people just walk around, just the regular people, yeah?
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, and and my uh, focus is always looking at the at the folks that are on the lowest rungs of the economic ladder, and trying to encourage them to you know with a positive attitude they can do anything. So yeah. that that's kind of, and and some some more background is uh, I ended up farming, and mm-hmm. we started expanding our farm and eventually started growing. Uh, we were producing six million pounds of bananas annually. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and then uh, while we had to transition, we transitioned into hydroponic tomatoes and produced a million pounds annually. Then after that, um, I was asked if I would like to become associated with this medical cannabis company. And and I said, well, yeah, as, as long as my workers could get the jobs and stuff like that. So I became the CEO of this medical cannabis company but what is interesting about that is because it's completely indoor controlled environment agriculture so i know a little bit about outside and indoor agriculture yeah
0: yeah and yeah. both of them are very important and so different from what i understand right yeah <laughs> yeah oh well, that's really exciting and then um i'm really excited about having you with us on this you know i think one of the things that we've been discussing you know is what does this look like together, and what roles do each of us play, right? And so, um, right, my background is really in the mechanical and engineering realm, aerospace engineering. Did a lot of work on the NASA side of things, right? So I'm inventing all of these uh, different technologies for keeping humans alive, right, in outer space applications. And I had a really big existential shift, you know, I had been developing patents and technologies for the International Space Station. Uh, working on technologies that are landing us back on the moon, right? Uh, Looking at habitation for Martian applications. And when I had my big existential shift, you know, I started really coming to this new viewpoint and maybe this is philosophical and, um, you know, maybe this is something my pop should have taught me, uh, Richard, you know, and it's when we're looking at these things from a system level perspective, how do we take the lessons learned from a specific industry and apply those to places where maybe they have greater good? You know, And that's really the transition that I went through where I was really excited about the technologies that we were developing for outer space applications. But then when you look back, we're developing water technologies right, for cleaning water. We're looking at air revitalization technologies that take pollutants and greenhouse gases and translate those into something extremely uh, useful and breathable for our space we're looking at so many solutions on the waste management side of things because contaminants and closed-loop systems build up so quickly, right? And, uh, yeah, we do more indoor than we do outdoor. Agriculture uh, offers space applications in our greenhouse modules. Um, and for us, you know, it's how do we translate a lot of those technologies, systems, approaches, and mindsets uh, and leverage them somewhere else, right? It's, it's the space industry has been known to bring us cell phones and memory foam and Velcro and all of these things that we like a lot. Um, But I think we've gotten pretty far away from really leveraging those, you know, as we've moved further and further into this almost nationalistic approach to to space travel. So this was really my turn of events, right? When I started seeing how I wanted to apply things from my industry and bring them here for applications uh, on our own planet. And I had the really good fortune of having fantastic colleagues um, and a network of individuals around me uh, who wanted to do something very similar, right, as as industry leaders in different sectors. And we've really come together. And so I think we all have a different, extremely important part to play in this, right? I know that one of the things that the three of us have in common is a very system-level mildly philosophical approach to what we want to do in terms of providing a better planet, you know, for the next generation than was given down to us. And so as we look at how does this translate into this this new, you know, inventing our future series here in think tank, what, you know, what individual parts are we going to play in that? And so um, you know, I, I think what I bring to the table is more on the you know, patents, inventions, highly technical side of things, and we can dive into that. And I love what Chris brings, also in a lot of these conversations. He'll be, he'll actually be uh, bringing some of the patents that we dive into, so as the subject matter expert on those. But additionally, that viewpoint that he was really alluding to, right, for Chris, where it's that philosophical part. How does that play with community, with understanding, with the business sector? And then I think that translates so beautifully into into what you uh, you know do and advocate for, Richard, which is really more you know very Hawaii specific and also for the Rubber Slipper Group, you know. And how do these technologies translate into you know yays or nays? You know, what are the actual implications at the end of the day on the people? um, and the society and the culture and the environment here. So I think it should be pretty fun, um, yeah. to, to mix these things together. Right. Yeah. And so how do we get, how do we get nerdy? How do we take that nerdy and take it, you know, and then dumb it down, you know, to, to a different level too, to help, uh, you know, me, you know, in certain aspects, cause some of these technologies that come up aren't my, aren't my specialty and expertise and then take it another step in another direction too, which is, you know, what are the practical implications of that? So um, that's kind of what I was thinking. Uh, what do you think, Richard?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great idea. You know, you know, I'd, I'd like to add one more thing, you know. Um, so when I, we were farming, you know, back in 2008, the oil price went up and it affected everything. And what made me... Um, start to pay attention was that a lot of this stuff was not oil itself but byproducts of oil so i went to go to this association for the study of peak oil i went to five conferences and i was the only person from hawaii there but it was mostly energy focused. but as time went on i started to realize it's not only energy you know it's other things so in our case in hawaii is i started to look around what kind of resources that do we have here that's forever resources and one is geothermal in the last million years. Another one is the skies above, not the mountain itself, but the skies above. You get up so high and you look at the skies; that's forever. And then he, you folks, come in, and I'm like, "Holy smokes!" You know, th- this whole thing all ties together. So, anyway, I just wanted to say that part.
2: Well, it's it's fascinating, and and I mean, yeah, you're completely right. It. It all has to tie together, you know. And I think the part that, the part that is, you know, so first off, from from the perspective of a of a just someone who is maybe interested in the sciences but isn't involved in the sciences, right? Someone interested in technologies but isn't, you know, an engineer or a scientist or a doctor or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you see on the news a lot stories about, oh, we found the cure for climate change. Or we found a new cancer cure. We found whatever. And they never actually make their way to the marketplace, right? Hmm. Um, that is a really frustrating and it's confusing and it's hard to process. And so I think being able to really kind of, it's important that, that people, that the community understands these technologies. It's so important that they understand them. And it's so important as well for just in general, the kind of ge- the, the background idea be put out there and i think really Brittany, you kind of you hit it right on the nose we know in situations where we need to design for no waste at all for maximum sustainability we can design those systems we know we can we do them for space so it's just a matter of changing your perspective right putting sustainability first that's really the you know putting the planet first Putting. Mm-hmm. Um, communities first that's really the, the the initial step you need to make because a lot of these problems that for a long time people have said it costs too much money there's no way to do it effectively yada yada you know whatever that's not true anymore the technology is there it just it just requires kind of the will to do yeah. it um and the people are the are the source of that right if the people say we want this to happen it'll happen
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's really exciting. So I think as we, we take these uh, different philosophies, right, and in the way that we've, you know, really conceptualized, I think, a system level viewpoint and a reprioritization um, of what we think is important, right, and what we bring as maybe point number one. Our point number ones, point number twos, and point number threes are the same, We've just reorganized them slightly, right? And and doing so allows for a whole new set of solutions to come forward. That's extremely exciting, right? And I think it also has this gravity about it, which really attracts the top, you know, scientists and philosophers and engineers and policymakers together, um, because. There's this thing that we've always cared a lot about, but then when they see those sort of ideas and solutions coming together and and forming into something real, right? It's our formation moment, right? In our own solar system here, Um, there's just so much excitement. And when that happens, you also breed innovation in a really extraordinary new way that allows this cross-sectional collaboration. And just like anything else, everything ebbs and flows, right, in most of the universe. And so it's really making sure to leverage those moments when when you have these formation moments and pulling together the expertise and the excitement and the community, right, and the public into these conversations. Because maybe that's how, you know, we overcome some of those obstacles that, Chris, some of the technologies and solutions, you know, that you've alluded to, you know have faced in the past it's really can we achieve that critical mass right when we bring these solutions forward and and i think yeah. the answer is for sure possible
2: yeah, well, yeah i mean yeah, it's absolutely. it's like richards it's like richards dad said right be you know say yes right we can do this yeah. um i think it's <laughs> there's so much where we hear you know um from industries or from leaders that you know this this isn't feasible but you know it can be you just have to be willing to make you know um to make the planet to make the community to make the people really the focus of your design and yeah. you know it's um it's really exciting to be able to do that and and see it work so yep. yeah some good yep. stuff <laughs>
0: so. yeah and be able to do that in a way that's profitable not only for the communities where it's being executed but for the people who've been a part of it right for um and for Uh, I would say, you know, additionally, kind of the ancillary industries that are touching such revolutionary uh, solutions. So I'm really excited about it. I think that the idea of going through it A to Z is kind of fun. Um, I think the hardest part is going to be there's so many technologies that will fit the same letter category that it'll be interesting. So just as a high-level overview of what we're discussing here, right, we've decided that each week we're going to go through a new invention, right? We're going to go through that deep dive. And week one, we're going to pick something that starts with the letter A. And so uh, that will be our very next episode, right? We're going to do an actual deep dive into real technologies, real solutions, real patents, things along those lines. that start with the letter A. And then we're going to kind of unravel it in this way that we've been discussing. So um, I think that the hardest part is, you know, How how do we select out of this big pool, especially for some of the really common letters, right? Some of, uh, you know, our A's and R's and T's and S's on what we want to move forward with. Because there's so many that could be highlighted. So I'm thinking of A to Z as kind of the initial, you know, springboard. Uh, There's going to be a lot more. Maybe we can add some... uh, addendums that showcase some other stuff that other folks could dive into on their own if they want to. But I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Um and and Chris, from a philosophical standpoint, like what kind, you know, who is this going to be the most interesting to, right? I mean, um, how do we make sure that we're engaging, you know, and crossing that barrier from technology to community in the ways that you've really studied. You know,
2: I think I think hopefully the people who will find this the most interesting are are people living on island, right? People who are a part of the community, people who want to see these technologies happen. Um, a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about here today is sort of, you know, it's really almost technology agnostic. Right? Mm-hmm. We're going we're going A through Z, of course, but really, um, you know, if we choose, say, for A. A-means or air capture or something right i mean yeah. if we choose for a something like that um i think it's it's really good for people to sort of know those terms and just have a sense about what they mean and what the technology is because again it just makes you a better consumer of scientific media makes you a better consumer of of government information of local information right it, it just mm-hmm. helps you make better um you know i'm a firm believer that i'm a firm believer that if you give people the best information um then you're in good hands right when they when they make decisions so i really think you know i hope that that's really the community that's going to find the most interest in this and then of course you know i hope that kind of going through the the change in the way that we've decided to do the design and the sort of strategy here where again we we kind of got rid of all of the traditional things that people use to engineer a system to start with, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Economic viability, like stuff like that, right? And we started from the position of how do we make this the best for the environment? How do we make this the most sustainable? And once you have that figured out, then you can start deciding and determining how to make this economically viable, how to make this optimized for peak efficiency, how to do those other things, so it really is a difference in the way you design. Mm-hmm. So I also really hope that our um our technology partners, other people in industry get a kick out of it and, and want to come and do yeah. this.
0: So
1: yeah. Yeah,
2: you know, yeah. yeah, for me that's that's the those are the people I, I hope will be the most interested. And of course my mom. I hope my mom watches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's,
0: that's <good>. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I um I think that's a really big part of it Chris and I think that's a really good spot you know uh, to really focus here you know and really culminate this is as we go around and we have conversations with different people right I think this is something all three of us here have discussed before it's if you don't have those scientific tools Um, that are accessible to you, right? You're not educated in the engineering world. You're not educated in in the science world. And all of these different solutions are brought forward. It becomes very, very difficult to be able to make decisions about what makes the most sense for your society or your family or your home or your community, right? And it's how do we uh, start breaking these technologies down In a way that gives people the information, like you were saying, Chris, or the tools to be able to evaluate different technologies from a sustainability standpoint, from an environmental impact, uh, uh, you know, place uh, of, you know, from a viewpoint where that is. Taken into consideration and, and is important. And of course, highlighting right the economics, because there's no place in the world where that doesn't have to come into play. Um, you know? And so making sure that we do highlight that as well. But if we instead of say, instead of saying this is a good technology, this is a bad technology, this is what we implement, if we can instead utilize this series as a tool. That we can pass on to other people in the community to start looking at technologies and be able to assess that for themselves because they'll be able to come along with us through at least 26 different technologies where we can say here's how we look at it here's how we assess it here's the pros and the cons this is how we know how it's going to affect us today right and for future generations and you know what are our risks and opportunities right And that's the real way that we look at technologies. There is no, this is perfect. uh, This is devastational. It's all gray area, but the right decisions need to come down to the people who will actually be implementing those and then facing those consequences or benefiting right from the pros, right? Or not benefiting right from the cons. If we put that information in the hands of those individuals, I think that society in whole grows better right and we can no longer have to be reliant on the trust me my scientific cred you know sort of argument uh, anymore because we'll let communities take control of the decisions that communities you know should make yeah mm-hmm. i
2: mean at the end of the day this is what i always tell people i used to tell this to my students i tell this to all my friends um at you know i'm not very good at parties um <laughs> if if you can balance a checkbook you can do a sustainability analysis yep. it is all about what comes in and what goes out that's mm-hmm. all you need to know yep. so that's the kind of level that i you know really think we're going to be focusing on with these and yeah i'm just
1: i'm so excited I can't you know i i wanted i wanted to add you know that we, we're looking at this from the point of view of Koki and malia who are toddlers today and how can we make life better for them when they're 20, one generation from now, 25 years from now? And, you know, more than 25 years, 100 years, 1,000 years, because that's our obligation. We are their ancestors.
0: Without a doubt. Yeah, and so as we go through each of the tex- these technologies then, we'll make sure we take a good hard look kind of at that life cycle assessment, Richard, right? And it's what it, what does it look like to develop these solutions? What does disposal look like? What is the impact on the environment through that cradle to cradle, right? Through the entire life. So I think that's going to be a big part of it. So, well, I'm looking forward to it. I hope everybody else is too. We'll kick off our very next episode with letter A. Uh, So uh, look, uh, look out for what that deep dive will be. We have 20 or 30 different options, I think, right now, in just Category A. So we'll do our own little decision down select matrix and see what we think will have the biggest impact for Hawaii, and then we'll showcase that in our next episode. Um, Any last-minute thoughts uh, or comments that uh, you'd like to make, Chris, um, before we wrap things up?
2: No, really excited. Um, I, I am not looking forward to choosing the letter X. (laughs)
0: awesome wonderful anything uh last minute for you richard
1: (laughs) Uh, no except for the fact that this is going to be fun i Uh, think so so much forward (laughs) to this
0: (laughs) likewise all right well with that then let's uh, wrap this up i want to thank you guys so much uh this is inventing our future and think tech hawaii thank you again uh dr chris cogswell for joining us and thank you so much to our viewers for watching. Uh, If you guys are interested in learning more um, or seeing a complete listing of the shows here, please feel free to sign up for those on thinktechcawaite.com. We will be back in two weeks. So please uh, tune in to take a deep dive with us in our first invention, starting with the letter A. Until then, I'm Brittany Zimmerman.